And now, it's time once again for the show that gives glorious voice to 25 million business owners across the fruited plain. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker. Thank you, Dude Walker. Yes, indeed. I am Frank Felker. Welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise. My guest today is Joe Menninger, host of StartupRad.io and the authority on German startups. Joe Menninger, welcome to the program. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me. Uh, good afternoon from Frankfurt. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. I, you know, I'm very excited to talk to you because I, you know, I'm, my name is German. I was actually uh, Americanized at Ellis Island when my family, my father's family emigrated here. I was born in Germany. Uh, I have uh, visited Germany. I presented to a group of uh, printing company, um, Heidelberg. You may have heard of the printing press manufacturer, Heidelberg. I presented to them way back around the year 2000 in Dusseldorf. Uh, anyway, I have a lot of connections to Germany, but I didn't realize that Germany in general and Frankfurt in particular is like a hotbed for startup activity. Um, so I'm interested to hear more about that. Why do you figure it is that uh, that Frankfurt's um, attracting so much entrepreneurial energy? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, the, there are many, many factors uh, included, let's say, the location. Um, it, a lot of companies are coming here uh, from across the world for the very simple reason it's in the center of Germany, which is the biggest market in the European Union. So if you want to start your business in the European Union, it actually makes sense to come here. Um, Frankfurt also has the uh, busiest internet knot in the world. It's called D6, D-E-C-I-X, um, mm -hmm. and it has a massive throughput. Uh, I don't know the numbers and I still would screw them up. So it's it's the busiest one in the world. So a lot of um, stuff that is going on in terms of cloud computing is really uh, going on here. Plus there is a very busy uh, town as well as the Rhine-Main region. You may know that administratively speaking, uh, the German towns are always very small, especially in terms of squ square miles, square kilometers. Mm -hmm. uh, so you actually have to look at the whole area around it with uh, some other smaller cities. And that is an area of, let's say, five, five and a half million people. And the last time they published um, across regional products. So the GDP broken down to the area, it was approximately the size of New Zealand. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's yep. uh, small but mighty. Yes, it, of course it is. Yeah. Now, isn't it true also that the uh, European Central Bank is headquartered there? Is that correct? Yeah, there, there, there is a lot of stuff going on here. So the most important central bank in Europe before there was the European Central Bank, Bundesbank, the German Central Bank mm. is located here. You have the European Central Bank. You have also the, oh, I, know the I don't know the exact name, but the oversize of the largest banks in the European Union, also done by the, Europe, uh, by the European Central Bank is located here, as well as the oversight company for insurances and pension funds. Plus you do have a lot of other interesting stuff. Usually people don't have on their radar, so to speak, uh, when they're talking about Frankfurt and the Rhine-Main area, because mm -hmm. a little bit to the south, like when you're not in rush hour speaking, 
about 30 minutes by car is the city of Darmstadt with an excellent technical university. And there is the European Space Operations Control Center. So, so uh, colloquially speaking, uh, the Houston of the, of the European Space Agency. <laughs> oh, that'd be interesting to find Houston in Germany, wouldn't it? It's quite a combination. <laughs> and with that, I did at one point want to come to this, but this is a good time. You actually went to school in Texas for a period of time. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty good. Um, I was um, I was already enrolled here in the university in Germany. Uh, we uh, had several exchange programs, and I uh, basically my program required to spend at least one semester either interning or studying abroad. And so I applied for both. I got um, my internship space in Beijing uh, in a joint project of the wow. Chinese and German Ministry of um, in the environment, um, but uh, the, the the university then called me and said, ah, "We're very sorry, uh, your uh, application got kind of <clears throat> sidetracked. Do you want to come for a whole year and make your degree?" And I said, "Yep, I'm coming." So I went from Beijing, something like minus five degrees Celsius. Don't ask me for the Fahrenheit. Um, went to Germany, uh, spent there like two weeks, and then went to Texas, and it was it was really warm like warm for everybody else except Texans and it was 14 hours time difference so I was I was sleeping for almost only sleeping for a few days and my roommates from college they knocked hey Joe are you still alive hello are you still there <laughs> I can only imagine uh you know yes, college so, um, students are bad enough but Texan college students or as you were telling me it's Texan Taxing college students, I imagine, could be especially brutal on the uh, foreign exchange student coming in. Well, I, I don't want to spend too much time on that. Um, actually, actually, I had a very, very decent roommates, very nice people that I'm still in touch with. Oh, that's so um, it, it's a cliche, and I totally kind of uh, went around that, but um, still had a lot of very decent, very nice people. Uh, actually, I invited some of them to my wedding, and due to Corona, wow. it couldn't take place my church wedding ceremony. So uh, they have not been that mean, but other people try to be mean. <laughs> well, I know it is because I still have friends from my college days, which were a lot farther back in the past. Um, but we also teased each other, you know, terribly. And I think that's just part of a rite of passage for young men growing up. Um, what I wanted to ask you next about is, uh, well, let me let me backtrack a little bit. You were talking about the banks, Bundesbank, uh, European Central Bank, big insurance companies and that kind of thing. And as I looked through your podcast website, I noticed that there's a lot of fintech, financial technology startups, uh, at least that you're interviewing. Do you feel that it's a fair statement that because of all the money and the big banks that are in Frankfurt, that that's generating a lot of interest or creating a lot of fintech startups? Uh, yes, it does. Um, you you got to see. So basically, um, I do a lot of fintech interviews because uh, in the past, for the last 12 years, I've been management consultant in capital markets. So I did a lot of asset management, wealth management, investment banking, trading, and stuff like this. So basically, um, that's what I've been doing in the past. So I'm very much scoot towards fintech of those fintechs i'm interviewing not all of them are of course from frankfurt frankfurt is still in the top five uh, fintech hotspots in germany even though they lost a little bit 
of um, lost a little bit of position, lost their top position uh, to other uh, cities. Uh, now there's Berlin, Hamburg, and Munich ahead of them, simply in terms of uh, the fintechs headquartered there. And um, in fintech, you, you, you usually don't see people getting out of university like a Zuckerberg and already starting in the dorm of fintech. So if you start a fintech, if you're a fintech entrepreneur, it's very likely that you at least studied finances at the university, that you did a vocational training at a bank like I did, or that, mm. you, um, that you've been actually working sometimes for a long time in a bank, in an insurance company, private equity fund, something like this, and then you think about what you could do and start a company. I noticed, uh, and I appreciate what you're saying, and, and I can understand that, but the, uh, the exception to the rule, I noticed you had a young man on, I think that you interviewed in December, who said he was 20 years old and had created this app uh, that has to do with uh, eliminating paper receipts. So he, uh, can you tell us a little bit about his company and, and his story? Yeah, you're referring to the interview of EPAP. Um, mm -hmm. And basically, uh, he was freelancing, he was coding. And um, from e-commerce, he got into invoicing and he realized that uh, a lot of paper receipts are uh, just generated for the bin. Um, because in Germany, there's a duty, um, how do you call it? Like a proceeding, like an order from the Ministry of Finance. Every time you do a transaction on your cashier, you have to print out a receipt. You have mm. to hand the, the client a receipt. Um, and basically what they are doing then is uh, basically they want to convert it. So you have your cell phone, you hold it to, to the cashier and then basically pop, it pops up. You have all the data on your cell phone and you don't need a paper-based um, paper based receipt. And the interesting thing is, um, usually you have online banking apps that can see, for example, you shopped something there at the grocery store. Uh, we don't have Whole Foods, but something similar like Rewe, Aldi, Lidl, stuff like mm -hmm. this. And um, basically what the online banking apps are seeing is that you shop there for, let's say, 99 euros. But what the app is seeing where you actually have the receipt in there, they can see all the individual items. So if you have, mm. if you're really diligent and get in diligent in getting all your receipts in this app, the uh, uh, financial analyzers, your transaction analyzers, will be much much better than um, the apps just looking at your um, at your financial transactions on the current mm -hmm. account. That's interesting. And uh, how is that startup doing for him? I didn't, I'll apologize. I didn't watch the entire interview. Um, but uh, how long ago did he start? Uh, has he gotten any traction, you know, clients, revenue? Has he gotten any funding yet? Where, where is he at with his uh, journey? Um, that, 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 that's the usual problem of uh, startups in Germany. You know, American startups, they're very outgoing. They do a lot of public relations. They take uh, a lot of money in their hands for marketing and stuff like this. Startups in general, they're, they're always exception to rule, but in general in Germany, especially in Frankfurt and in other cities don't do that as much. So they usually don't disclose any revenue. They usually don't disclose a lot of data like funding and stuff like this. For example, uh, there's a database, an international database called Crunchbase. It's mm -hmm. a US-based um, 
database where when you have a social media profile like Twitter, like LinkedIn, you can start and edit a lot of company profiles. And for something like 80 to 90% of the startups that I'm interviewing, they don't have even a profile on there. So basically there's nothing you can find about them in English except for my um, interview. And that's the case with this EPAV app as well. But um, they didn't disclose that lot of stuff. Um, but they are, of course, as most startups I'm talking to, are looking for investors. So mm -hmm. if everybody's anybody's interested in screening startups, I do it as entertaining as possible. Um, <laughs> you can, of course, tune in to my podcast. I bring at least one interview guest a week with a with a little exception of uh, july and august there's not such a lot of interest in podcasting at this time of the year so mm -hmm. i only publish one interview every other week right now I, i'm even publishing two interviews a week awesome now i wanted to then dig a little deeper into the podcast itself uh, you're covering the german startup scene in english why english joe <laughs> well, English is the language of the world and um, you have a much, much bigger potential audience to um, speak to that can hear you, that is interested. Um, I was I was first uh, starting a German-only podcast together with another co-host and we almost did the same thing. Um, and it, it didn't get a lot of traction, but then I realized if I do this in English, I do have a USP because nobody else does it. And if I do it in English, there's a much, much bigger potential audience for this. And so that's why I've been sticking to this. Plus, um, I also covered like the German speaking startup scene. So um, basically there's sometimes Swiss-based, Austrian-based startups in there. And in, I do believe it was December, I even had the first startup from Little Liechtenstein. Oh, nice. In my, uh, yeah, in my interview. So I can now say I covered the German speaking startup scene. Plus, once a month, I get into a similar recording, a similar live event like you do, uh, together with my co host, who is a German guy living and uh, working in New York City. And we discuss um, the German startup scene like a recap looking back on the, on the last month. And we call it this month in German startups. And so basically, when when you tune in, you have like twenty minutes. We do we do a little bit funny stuff, a little bit banter, and uh, uh, and then try as infotaining as possible and like bring that. you the most important news from the startup scene. And we always try to highlight stuff like what was going on in the not that much covered areas. Mm. Um, for example, we have. Um, very frequently startup news like the startup you you were referring to they are from hanover hanover germany and um usually there's not a lot of or no english coverage of those startups at all that's why we see the white spot that's why we see our usp and that's why we are doing this well and your english is excellent uh, as a quick aside were you taught english as a school <laughs> child or how did you learn english Yes, uh, basically in Germany, you have to take it in school. When I was still at school, you had to take it from fifth grade on. Um, wow. In Germany, when you want to go to university, you have to go at least 12 years, uh, sometimes 13 years to school. Now this is a little bit different and it depends on your 
state. Germany is, uh, has 16 states. It depends on your state if you have to go to high school for 12 or 13 years. Mm -hmm. And basically, that's where I started. Now, the son of my cousin, uh, he not only uh, has to take English, but he also has to take subjects in English language, for example, wow. history. Mm -hmm. he, he can choose to take history in English. Boy, that's very immersive, and that's the way to learn. Now, your English is excellent. You've chosen to go English language with your podcast. And it appears as though the combination is really generating a lot of momentum and success uh, for your podcast. Can you speak to that a little bit? In terms, of, Or am I asking you to do something that's outside of your comfort zone to talk about how many <laughs> listeners and so forth? I mean, I checked out your YouTube channel. You, you know, getting a lot of views. You're getting a lot of engagement. Can you speak to that for us? Yes, of course. Uh, so basically, um, I started really from scratch um, in 2014 in this German podcast, um, a uh, interview partner who was not from Germany requested to do an interview in English. I, I said, okay, I, uh, I, I lived and studied in the US, we can do this, totally do this. And then basically, that was the point when StartupRate.io started. Um, Sometime in 2015, I started to do really regular content and run it as an own channel. And since 2018, we dissolved the uh, end of 2017, we dissolved the old construct. And ever since I'm basically running it uh, by myself with a little assistance from Christian from New York, plus Pedro, um, who's the behind the scenes community manager, who is a very power networker and who keeps me in touch with local startup scene when I'm busy working here. So 2019, I then started um, external hosting. So basically, if you have audio files, video files, you have to put them somewhere that people can download it. And I decided to go for an external hosting service. And the very first day, um, I got 22 download requests. And right now I'm hovering somewhere between five and a half and 6,000 download requests a day. Um, That's awesome. For last year, I was, I was um, around 550,000 download requests for this quarter. Why I'm referring to download requests because podcasting is very decentralized. Um, I can tell from my hosting service that more than 100, 120 apps, tools, different bots, uh, browsers, desktop PCs are, uh, in software from desktop PCs are really accessing my uh, podcast feed, but I cannot really say how much and when they have downloaded all that stuff. There are some analytics companies out there. For example, I'm using one to track all my appearances in the iTunes and Spotify podcast charts, but they can only track like a dozen or two dozen of those tools. That's uh, why I'm working just, with download requests. Uh, you just posted something on LinkedIn about uh, somebody who had recognized you. I'd, if you would, just go ahead and speak to it as far as, and it seemed as though this had happened a, a long time ago and you just now became aware of it. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's a little embarrassing. So we didn't do, our, I didn't do uh, the press screening properly enough. Uh, there is, a, a, as I said, a big database called Crunchbase. Sometimes they uh, they also post news on the blog. And this time it was in, in cooperation with the European-based tech podcast called tech.eu. And I basically went through the uh, all noteworthy tech podcasts in Germany. 
like in June of 2020, and now we're talking January 2021. And I just discovered that they recommended us as a very good um, podcast to listen to on a regular basis. And so uh, that's what, where we've been very happy. Also, uh, as I said, we do track our chart appearances on podcast charts in mm -hmm. iTunes. Basically, um, it, it, it takes a lot of time and energy if you really want to do it yourself. That's why we use an analytics company for that. And so far, as of today, we've been in 49 countries in podcast charts, like including the US, Canada, um, but also uh, Germany, um, Italy, France, the usual suspects, UK, but also um, very interesting countries you never you'll never think of as an audience for a German startup podcast hmm. like the Dominion Republic, like Sri Lanka, like Singapore, um, countries like this, Zimbabwe, um, South Africa, Brazil. Let's we, talk about uh, that. And, Why are those people? What's what's special or unusual? Or you mentioned your unique selling proposition earlier regarding your podcast. What's the USP for a German startup? Why should an American audience or a Sri Lankan audience be particularly interested in that group? In general speaking, a lot of uh, what is going on in the startup scene is like global trends. For uh, for example, um, a global trend was the food delivery. You may know um, Delivery Hero, uh, Berlin-based Frankfurt-listed startup. Um, also like the food boxes that Blue Apron invented actually the rocket internet clone HelloFresh actually took them over in terms of global um, uh, delivery global uh, mm. food delivery what they are doing um, so there there's a lot of good execution of course plus there's a lot of really really high-tech solutions for example I was talking to Gunjan uh, uh, Indian-born entrepreneur who set up his company close to Frankfurt, and uh, he is running a company uh, that is sometimes referred to as the Google of Pharma because they are, basically have a database with uh, farm with data from medical research published and unpublished. And basically the story behind this was uh, he was working as a consultant and his mentor became sick uh, with cancer and he was just looking to find the right specialist for this very certain type of cancer and he could not find it so that's what got him started and then he he was uh, he was providing a list of doctors scientists research and then he got into research data and at right now uh, as far as I know he raised 35 million euros for this company as wow. looking again for funding that's great and I, I noted, uh, checked your uh, CV on LinkedIn. Uh, you had previously worked for Deloitte and Bearing Point and McKenzie. And I noticed that your titles always seem to find the word startup in that title somewhere. Is that where you first became interested in the whole idea of startups? Or what, why, what drives your passion, Joe? Uh, I, I think... Uh, 
uh, always like to be an entrepreneur. Um, yes, there, there's a lot of startup in my CV, but also like a lot of financial services, asset management and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. But my mom loves to tell the story when I was four years old and I was trying to sell the strawberries from our garden on the street. Um, I grew up in a very small town, so the only possible clients were the neighbors and, and, and I was working with them until the point where they just took some strawberries from me and gave me a little bit of change. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. Go ahead. You when were born with China, the entrepreneurial I genes, apparently. The, I have the... Fr yeah, 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 yeah. I assume so. I, I cannot prove it. Uh, when it was uh, in China, I helped a friend uh, setting up a language school chain there. And uh, then I started like part-time... Um, or in my spare time, in my very limited spare time, I I was always working on some startup ideas, some some one or another type of what you could classify as a startup, as a tech company, as an entrepreneurship, but it never worked out. And right now, um, in January 2021, I'm starting full time with StartupRate.io. That's great. Now you told us about the pharma startup, the Google of pharma. And we talked about the young man just barely out of his teenage years who has the uh, receipt app. EPAP, is that what it was called? EPAP app, yeah. EPAP app. Um, app, APP. Sure. Uh, do you have another uh, story for us? Of uh, I find it interesting, by the way, that the German uh, startups play this, as we would say, very close to the vest, like holding your cards very close to your chest. Uh, because, you know, promotion is uh, a necessary element of business success, certainly. Um, but with, uh, did you have anybody you've interviewed who is a startup uh, based in Germany who did share something maybe along the lines of that uh, pharma startup uh, relative to traction they've gained, clients they've signed, you know, transactions they've turned, some sort of success of somebody who appeared on your show and then went on to uh, to really do well. Well, uh, bef before I was uh, I was running the English uh, startup podcast. I was running uh, a German only startup podcast. There's even a video in German. Um, uh, I I can send you the link if you like to for everybody who speaks German. Where I'm talking in 2015 to one of the co-founders of N26. Um, a challenger bank that basically provides a bank account just on your uh, cell phone app, uh, who, which is now valued above 1 billion euros, just for example. Mm, wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and frequently, startups are sharing some of their data. For example, you can ask them uh, their average customer, how do they look like? But usually, they get uh, getting very close lip if you talk about funding, if you talk, uh, mm. talk about... Um, uh, revenue numbers and stuff like this. But funny thing is, uh, there's a public registry in Germany, like a commercial register, uh, Handelsregister. That is basically a place where you have to turn in your annual accounts, your balance sheet um, within a certain frame of time. So basically, at one point in time, like two years in the future, you could go back and look at the data of the startups right now. But as every entrepreneur can tell, in two years, a lot can change. So I have a question for you. Now, of course, Americans are known for being very braggadocious. And, you know, as they would say in Texas, all hat, no cattle. Uh, you know, talk, <laughs> talk, talk. talk. Uh, 
and you know, to a, to a fault. There's a recent uh, startup, uh, Nikola, Nikola, the uh, the would be competitor to Tesla, where this guy was talk and talk, 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 and it turned out almost everything he was saying was a lie, and as a result, he's lost contracts, partnerships with General Motors and uh, Republic uh, Waste Services, and you know, anyway. I'm not propon uh, trying to support the idea that people should talk about their businesses more. Um, at the same time, though, without that, uh, it's difficult for prospective investors to find out who they might be interested in getting involved with. What, what, at what point, just in your experience, both working for the big companies and uh, interviewing startups, at what point will a startup sort of uh, pull back the kimono a little bit and let you see uh, their client list, let you see their financial statements, see their, uh, oh, I can't even think of what it's called, the cap chart, uh, capitalization. How, how close do you have to get before they're going to share anything with you, Jill? Um, basically, uh, startups, especially in my show, they 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 have a very certain incentive when they come to my show. Usually, it's they know a lot of investors are listening, so they know mm -hmm. um, twenty minutes good interview they can they can get a potential in investor interested, mm -hmm. and that's the point where they open up a little bit more. Usually, in terms of funding, when they are have their first product out and they want to raise money in Series A to scale this on a European or even global level. That's the point when they pull a little bit back the curtain. Um, the cap table and the client list would be something most startups would only share with a potential investor in a due mm -hmm. diligence when when you signed like an NDA or stuff like that. Okay, that's kind of what I was driving in as when would they share it with an investor or a potential investor. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, we're just about out of time. Uh, I always like to ask my guests, whether or not there's a question I have not asked you that I should have, or something that's come to mind that you'd like to share with my audience before we go. Oh yeah, uh, just punch in startuprate.io, you, you'll find all options to subscribe to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my next question, was how to, uh, how to contact you. Uh, but um, is there anything in particular that you'd like to share? My, my audience is primarily uh, United States-based. Uh, relative to what they might learn that they'd be surprised about, let's say, learning more about German startups. Yes, that uh, if you look at international press, especially coverage of English-speaking press on German startups, you'll notice a lot of like e-commerce, uh, business to customer, uh, B2C businesses. Uh, but when you listen to my podcast, admittedly, I do have a focus of on B2B podcast, but you will realize how many startups are out there you've never noticed. And when you follow my podcast for some time, you will realize that you barely scratch the surface of the German startup scene if you if you follow it only by international publications, because those international publications, they have to sell. So they stick to well-known names um, like the bigger or biggest startup companies out there. Joe Manager, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks again to Joe. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Frank Felker saying, I'll see you on the radio. He's the kind of guy who finds microeconomics fascinating. Uh, but go ahead and listen anyway. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker.